0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 10, and the quote of the day is from Andrew Carnegie, who said, people who are unable to motivate themselves must be content with mediocrity, no matter how impressive their other talents. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. And beyond. going on everybody nick ruffini here with the drummer's resource podcast and i got glenn graham on the show today from blind melon and it's really great to have glenn on the show i've been a huge fan of blind melon for years and years and i always thought that glenn's style was really unique and and different and it's just really great to have him on the show and he and i share a lot of the same ideas in terms of grooving and and what the drummer's job is as an accompanist instead of a as a soloist so let's uh let's get right into the interview glenn thanks so much for doing this man i really appreciate it glad to be here so i i normally start uh talking to people about how they got started with with drumming because everybody's story really different and it's always interesting to hear how how people got into it so how'd you get started playing
1: well, um, when I was probably eight, nine, something like that, I was heavily into listening to Kiss. And I have an aunt, a great aunt, who, a fantastic aunt, I should say, not a great aunt, uh, but a, um, who saw this happening and kind of stepped in with a, an armful of Beatles albums and said, no, 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 this is not, this is not good. <laughs> you know, there, there are better ways to uh, start in the world of, you know, or whatever, so you know, all the Beatles albums up to, I guess, gosh, it all the way up to the Revolver, yeah. and I uh, mean, so I'm listening to Kiss, I'm listening to the Beatles, and um, you know, I, I had you no know, drum set or anything like that, you know, at nine years old, I was putting on pillows on my bed, right. you know, I had no real concept of anything really, you know, just, uh, I thought it would be great to play drums, and didn't know how to get started, didn't know how to get a kit, didn't, you know, whatever. But I I found a kit that was like 50 bucks, uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm from a small town in Mississippi, and, and they classified heads, and they were covered with, um, like, linoleum, like, uh, kind of linoleum stuff that is on countertops. So it was very thick. Really? And uh, the heads that were on them, uh, I guess I, they were probably on them for two years before I took them off, and the linoleum was so thick that you could barely get them off and, you know, consequently uh, barely get the new ones back on. But <laughs> anyway, um, I had no no training or anything until I was uh, I, maybe until I was around 16 or 17. I just, you know, played along to records, mm-hmm. you know, mainly AM pop, 70s pop stuff. You know, we didn't have an, an FM station in my town, and... Uh, you know, so basically, I mean, I realized many, many years later that I was playing along to Hal Blaine and you know Jim Gordon and people like that. Right. So that was a it was a pretty good, pretty good start, I guess. Um, um, but um, yeah, as far as formal training prior to hooking up with this guy named Alvin Fielder, who's a jazz fantastic jazz guy, um, yeah, there was nothing; it was just winging it.
0: Right. Well sometimes you know that or most of the people that I talk to that's kind of how it starts it's like i was i was into you know whoever and i just wanted to play along with the records and then a few years into it then they realize that they need some sort of training because they can't figure out what these people are doing or they can't you know their hands aren't working the way they should be working or something like that you know
1: right when so, i played when i got my kit i played right handed for the first i don't know maybe 3 or 4 months and I was trying to play Brick House by the Commodores, especially that intro. And uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm left-handed, and right. uh, just one day, it dawned on me. It's like, oh, switch them around, switch them completely, you know, backwards, that's and Everything. I did, and as soon as I did that, it was like, you know, hello. Oh, I can play.
0: Uh, so it was a lot easier for
1: you. Oh yeah, immediately, it's just like, okay, that there's there's one big uh, hurdle that's been you
0: know taken care of. I can see the hands in the and the or i can see the hands switching that around would be easy but i i always have issues with the feet you know like i can play left-handed with my hands you know what yeah, i mean sure. but once i switch the feet around it's like it gets a little intense you know pretty quickly
1: yeah i mean i can play very basic stuff right-handed but
0: right. you know forget it <laughs> <laughs> so then so after that, um, what kind of, what kind of training were you doing? What did you do the rudiment thing or were you, uh, you know, what was that, what was that like?
1: Well, he gave me, uh, you know, um, the, you know, like Askelhar rudiment book and uh, gosh, what was the other one? The, the Jim Chapin book, mm-hmm. you know, coordinated independence for the modern drummer, which was like handing me, you know, something in, you know, written in Sanskrit. I mean, I, I need mean, And so I kind of taught myself to read a little bit and, you know, just work through some of those, just, I mean, randomly work through some little uh, of the, you know, kind of exercises in the, especially the Jim Chapin book. And, um, you know, I'd go into this guy every week or maybe every two weeks, I don't remember, it was maybe a year that I did this. And, uh, you know, he would just look at me like, you know, why are you here? Right. You do not want to play Debop and obviously and you certainly are nowhere at you know area skill wise. So you know keep listening to your, you know, rock from the sixties.
0: <laughs> right. Keep uh, listening to your kids' and mim- records.
1: And mimicking all that stuff and uh, and you I'm sure you'll be fine, you know, whatever. So I mean I was I was the only kind of charity case he took I and mean, everybody else who was taken from him was deadly serious and I think probably are all you know pro jazz folk now
0: <laughs> right so at what point did you did you really get serious and say hey man this is you know this is something that I really want to pursue and really put some time into
1: well um I guess from
0: maybe 16 16- Years old until I moved to
1: LA um, in 1990, 91, something like that. I uh, I was playing this band called Cafe Des Moines, and it uh, it was just kind of a jam thing. And um, you know, I got a metronome and basically just started picking specific you know passages in, like, literally probably 150 different songs that I liked that I could not play, Mm -hmm. and. And started doing that with the metronome, and and that's a really, really, you know, long way around the barn kind of method to you know learn playing the drums. But I mean, you know, it it worked. Um, when I got to LA, uh, I mean, I was asked to come out there by the Blind Melon guys before the band, you know, was Blind Melon, and you know, as soon as I got out there, it was like, oh, okay, holy shit, this is for real. And so I, you know, I just kind of spent the year before we uh, really got going, you know, practicing daily and, you know, doing right. rudiments and doing metronome stuff. And
0: now, did you know those guys before that? I mean, how did you I hook meant, up with those guys?
1: I mean, I was acquainted with two of them. They were from a town near where I grew up. I was on the team of one of them when we were little kids. So, Yeah, I mean, I was called out of the blue, literally, um you know, uh, we you know we have a we have a deal pending. You know whatever that meant,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we're going on tour with Guns N' Roses. It was like, oh okay, well that sounds interesting. <laughs> it sounds like shit to me. Right. And uh, but uh, I'll go I'll go out there. Sure, I'll go out there for a few weeks and see what it's all about. And right. sure enough, you know, within a few months, you know. But meanwhile, like I said, when I got out there, I was sort of shocked into coherence, and you know. You know, you're at that age and, you know, I'm sure everyone is this way, but I was smoking a hell of a lot of pot at that time, and right. so I got way back on that and started uh, to, you know,
0: So how old me. were you at the time?
1: I was probably, I
0: don't know, 21 maybe? When you moved out there? Yeah. And so,
1: I think six months later we were signed, something like that.
0: Nice nice so yeah. let's let's uh, let 's talk about the blind melon stuff a little bit. I know that well, going back to let 's before we really dive into the blind melon stuff, I know that you were saying it 's a long way around the barn about how you learned how um, how to play a lot of the stuff that you did, but I think that 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 comes across now in your playing because I think that you're you have a really really unique playing style um, no. i mean that 's what i 've always dug about like the blind melon stuff is that it 's totally. It's totally different, you know, and and it definitely, I mean, as soon as you put it on, you know that that's you playing, which I think every drummer kind of strives for, you know, to have their own sound. And I think that you've definitely accomplished that.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: (laughs) Good. Definitely. Because you have like this, you know, it's, you you have like this, this funk, uh, it's like this funk rock feel that you have. It's like Keith Moon and and Dave Garibaldi kind of (laughs) thing.
1: Oh well, sure, yeah, I can see that.
0: <laughs> you know, so I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's that's what you were going for, but I I think it sounds great. So, well, thanks. Well, I really wasn't going for
1: anything except you know uh, just, I guess, to be you know without really thinking about it, to be an, sort of a uh, an amalgam of all the things that I really liked. Right. Listening. To, you
0: know, so. so, who are the cats that you really du di- You really dig?
1: Oh, I mean, okay. As far as like you know, big name, whatever you want to call them, like superstar drummer people from the sixties and seventies. Uh Keith Moon, Ginger Baker, John Bonham obviously. Um mm-hmm. and I mean I like uh I, mean, I love Charlie Watts. Um mm-hmm. but uh you know but there's that world, you know. And then there's your you know, Hal Blaine, mm-hmm. uh Jim Keltner, um Jim Gordon world. I mean Jim Gordon is my absolute favorite drummer, I think. Of all time, yeah. Just based on the live record he did with Eric Clapton, that uh, you know, uh, like the Fillmore thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: It's good. I mean, you know, he he had a hellacious right hand, you know, right, um, and super tight, and he was nuts, and he he did horrible things or whatever, but he was a great drummer, right. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I could I could list you 150 people. I mean, it just the. It, you know i'm I'm sitting here with my little itunes open which has like a fourth of the music i own on it and i mean i'm I'm going like well i mean there's no point this this i could start talking and it wouldn't i would never end right i mean of almost every 70s uh studio uh drummer you can imagine that you you know we hear on the radio every day you know Mm -hmm. um You know, I mean, jazz was a thing that I got into probably two years before I moved to L.A. Um, You know, I mean, I got into John Coltrane and uh, the Africa Brass and, well, the Africa Brass was the big one for me, actually. I mean, I love Supreme is great, too. But, um, you know... um, I like late 60s music period. I mean, whether it's jazz, rock, whatever, funk, whether it's African stuff like Franco or, uh, you know, Fela Kuti or anything. I mean, and it may have a lot to do with uh, the way the stuff was recorded. Mm -hmm. And it may have more to do with uh, the fact that guys who were playing back then were, especially, you know, I mean, the rock guys, you know, They grew up listening to jazz because there was nothing else to listen to. I mean, you you listen to early rock, but, you know. I mean, and now we have a whole just slew of kids out there who are, you know, I say kids, but people much younger than me who are, you know, all over the radio and touring and doing whatever. And it's just kind of like, it's it's sort of disheartening to me because uh, it just seems like a lot of you know, the soul, if you will, has sort of evaporated out of...
2: Couldn't all agree more.
1: Coming, you know, and, and it's ridiculous, because, I mean, it it's not like it isn't all... You know, it's it's all out there. I mean, you know, the, uh, for you to listen to and learn from, but uh, for whatever reason, people don't. I love punk rock. I love, you know, all kinds of stuff. But, right. you know, I don't want to play for the, you know, the Dead Kennedys, necessarily. Right, you know? right, right.
0: I was actually, uh, I was talking to an indugu Chancellor last weekend, and he was saying that one of his goals was to have no holes in his playing, ever. Mm-hmm. And he said now, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm a rock guy, or I'm a jazz guy, or I'm a funk guy. And they don't even look at any other styles or, or anything like that. And like you were saying about these guys who were playing in the 60s and 70s, like, they could run down a jazz chart you know or they could they could play an, an afro-cuban thing if they needed to or whatever the the session called for but now it's like well i can do the rock thing but you might want to call somebody else for the afro-cuban thing or something right you know which is the same it seems like the people lose sight of the of the lineage and now they're just kind of like focused on this one thing which is kind of lame to me
1: yeah it well it's just kind of unbelievable i mean if, uh, i mean I don't consider myself any sort of, you know, uh, super advanced uh, intelligence, uh, having super advanced intelligence, but I certainly can listen to something and know whether it's good or not. You know what I mean? Like To me, people always say, oh, whatever you kind of music you're into, and there's the old saying that there are only two kinds of music, good music and bad music, and I really agree with that. I agree, too. I mean, there's, there's some crap, you know what would you call it I mean uh, the, the, the stuff they call country now mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like the pop some country of that. Yeah. yeah I mean it's that's by and large horrible but I mean <laughs> hey those guys can play man those those drummers can play yeah. they aren't doing it in, in any of those in any of that material right. but but you can hear that okay these guys can play they're just for whatever reason they've decided I'm gonna be in Nashville I'm gonna you know tour with these big guys make money and whatever and but you know, there's a difference between, Let's say I don't know. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to name names. I won't go down that road. Yeah. What I'm saying is, you know, I mean, we've already agreed on uh, that. Yeah, drumming has uh, sort of fallen away right. as a as a vital part of uh, you know popular music in the last I don't know what thirty years or so, sure. something like that. So,
0: anyway. so, so what's your what's your favorite uh, Jim Gordon stuff? Like the the pretzel logic stuff, or what?
1: My absolute favorite. I mean, I'm you know super uh, like a super uh, simpleton when it comes to you know like groove music or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the Derek and the Dominoes live at the Fillmore. Record. I, I don't care a thing about the uh, Layla record. It just you know it's great or whatever. But that live record, man. Um, let me get this thing. Right. Okay. Why does love got to be so sad? Got to get better in a little while and let it rain off that live record. Right. That does it for me. that broken sixteenth pattern uh, on the ride it just kills me. I mean. Um, you know, so much of the stuff that was going on in the early '70s, late '60s and early '70s, you know, by folk who were trying to make money doing pop stuff, you know, like um, you know, like Ramsey Lewis or somebody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of that going on in the drum department, you know, and you know, Jim Gordon, Jim Gordon, when he hooked up with you know, Eric Clapton, you know, he he really sort of you know went about as far with that as you can. That you can go. I mean, it's, it's it's linear as hell, but it's you know at the same time you know he's doing he's certainly doing four way right. you know independence, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean that's that's for me that's it that that record. Um,
0: and he's it's such a shame. I mean, what happened with him because he was he was amazing, you know. And I I mean, hear- he's man.
1: When okay. Hal Blaine says here's here's your you know, he just here, uh you can have all my sessions that I can't handle and then, you know, every producer in the world goes, Jesus Christ, this guy's fucking phenomenal. you know. <laughs> I mean, I know he was he was schizophrenic and you know, and it's a shame that he, you know, didn't that wasn't recognized or he didn't receive treatment prior right. to, you know, having this meltdown, but um he was amazing, and, and they, his, everything he's done will, you know, stand the test of time. Uh, he got my God, he only played on, like, 350, 400 records, something, you know.
2: Right.
1: Hit after hit after hit after hit. Um, but I also love, you know, all the drummers that played for Aretha Franklin, you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, Muscle Shoals, what's his name? Uh, Roger Hawkins. I mean, yeah. I
0: love, love
1: Roger Hawkins. And all the guys who played with her who I don't know their names, um, but...
0: Have if you I ever seen that book? Sprank that Dan. Daily. Do you know Daniel Glass?
1: Daniel Glass? Yeah. I don't know. Tell me. No,
0: he's a he's a drummer for uh, right now. He's playing with with Brian Setzer, but uh, he's a buddy of mine. And he has he just came out with this thing called the Century Project, and they go through a hundred years of drumming, um, the history of drumming. But then he just released a book called the um, called the Roots of Rock and Roll Drummers. Yeah. So he interviews all these people, like Muscle Shoals, Hal Blaine, Bernard Purdy, um, a ton of different people, and has video excerpts from them and and all this stuff. You should check that book out. It, it's called The Roots of Rock Drumming. Oh, it definitely will. Yeah, and it's like a. It's more of a. Uh, it's more of a coffee table book rather than a uh, like an instructional Rock. book or anything. Um, yeah, Roots of Rock Drumming. It's a. It's it's pretty insane though. The people that he. That he interviews, it's like he he wrote it in conjunction with uh, with Steve Smith, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to see if it lists all the people in here, but I know Muscle Shoals is one of them. Um, like I said, Hal Blaine, um, Bernard Purdy, uh Louis or Louis Primus drummer Bobby Morris, Earl Palmer, um, right? DJ Fontana, like I mean, all type Buddy Herman, all types of people. Yeah. So it's pretty uh it's pretty intense reading through it to hear well, where well, to hear where these guys were coming from and you know. Yeah. So So tran- transitioning into that uh where we were earlier with the Blind Melon stuff. So so you fly out to LA and uh you guys get so would you say about 6 months later you guys got you guys got signed to a to Capital? Yeah. So where was that first sign I mean once you guys got signed were you immediately on the road with Guns and Roses or were you doing stuff before that or
1: Uh no we basically we, we told the label that we wanted a year to write because we only had like four songs at that time and uh, we got signed off like a you know a cassette demo and we just told them that we had you know tons of material and then when we got signed we said Well, you know, we kind of like to, you know, really dive in and do stuff good before we actually record a record. And they were, you know, wide open to it. Cool. Um, You know, lucky, I guess. Uh, So it took a while um, before we really were doing anything. I mean, I I tried to get us out of Los Angeles as fast as possible. I really didn't like it out there, particularly at the time. Uh, Having no money out there, you know, of course, is horrible. Sure. But uh, So we moved to uh, Durham, North Carolina. Um, we were trying to move to Chapel Hill where I'd been prior to moving you know, to LA. And I thought, Hey, we're we'll got a college town, you know, no one cares that you're assigned <laughs> to a labor, right. you know. Right. You can just sort of do your thing. And we we worked there for a while, I don't know, a few months and we did a like a ten day tour with Soundgarden and did a bunch of one offs and, you know, tons of just press and stuff like that setting up mm. what would be the, the aborted EP that would come later we you know uh, we moved let's see yeah I mean, that's a, that's right we did an EP before we moved to <laughs> before we moved to uh, North Carolina and uh, it just was not really what it needed to be
0: yeah I and, heard something about that that you guys recorded and then you were like man we're getting out of here we want to go work with somebody else.
1: We got David Briggs, you know, from Neil Young, and think, okay, well, we want, you know, Crazy Horse. And we, you know, no, it just didn't happen. It was very slick and, you know. Anyway, um, so we shelved that and moved and, you know, eventually ended up with Rick Parasher in uh, Seattle for four or five months doing the first record. And after that, I guess in the middle of that, we went on a tour. There was this 120 minutes thing with big audio dynamite and uh, live and um, public image limited. It's a strange bill, but anyway, you know, when you go around playing like 3,000 seaters and we were the first to act on the bill, nobody cared, but it was, you know, it was a full six weeks. So, you know, it was the first half of the album. I mean, if you know which albums, which uh, songs were recorded before we went on that tour, you can certainly tell the difference, uh, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, because I mean, you know, we'd never, really, never done anything, you know. We sure. Just, you know, and uh, so that tour, you know, we had gelled a little bit on that thing, and um, came back into the other other half of the record, and then went on tour for, you know, nonstop for. Like three years, I think, two and a half, three years, something like that, mm-hmm. just going with all these huge people, just mainly doing opening slots, right, which okay. is fun, but um you know, uh until the no Rain video, which was probably our fourth single at that time, right, yeah, because uh, I know so that
0: I, that that record wasn't wasn't that successful in the beginning, right. No,
1: it's all about the no Rain video. Yeah, I mean right. that was and, and that was total luck. I mean that was it was like okay, if you guys had three tries, we'll, we'll give you one more. The guy who well, was uh, the president of the Capitol at that time was his name was Hale Milgram, and he was he used to be at Arista in the Grateful Dead days, so he was uh, you know Deadhead, right. liked what we were doing, thought okay this is this is this is rock enough, but it has a little hippie in it, yeah. so we'll, we'll, we'll let you guys you know slide, and you know thanks to him you know here we are
0: <laughs> nice so what was the uh whose idea was the whole was the whole video and everything because that was totally like everybody knew that video
1: you yeah we, I, that was um samuel Bayer. um he's the same guy who did the smells like team spirit video oh, which okay. was, they i mean was you know they were capital was grasping at straws of the, you know and they got him uh you know, at that point they were thinking, okay, a video will 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 do it for this band, and as it turned out, you know, they were right. So right. it worked. But we had nothing to do with that, no input on that whatsoever. We just we showed up and did it, and it was fine. And we were, and we didn't really want to. Well, we just didn't want to do the uh, the B-girl thing to death, and as right. it turned That's what happened, you know. Hey, it's great. But that's what I was wondering. Like,
0: in you know, what's your what's your thought process when they're like, "All right, we're going to do this with this video. We're going to have this girl and this bee." Were you guys like, "What the fuck is this?"
1: Well, I mean, you know, without that, I mean, there's 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 no story. So, um, you know, I mean, we didn't we didn't have a problem with it particularly at the time it was being done, but. you know, once it started playing on MTV forty-five times a day or whatever brainwash rotation, we were all you know we couldn't believe it. We were just right. It was it was this is fantastic? You're oh, like this my is God. the
0: greatest <laughs> idea in the world. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it was like oh, okay, well, so now we've got to climb up from under this. You know, the one song on the record that is further over there <laughs> you right. know, than any of the other ones, and uh, you know, because everybody wanted to be a rock band. You know,
2: right, and, right, right.
1: A decidedly non kind of rock tune, Mm -hmm. but but anyway, I mean, you know, I don't know how much we noticed until really the soup record came along because we were touring so much,
0: right? The Uh, crazy thing about that record, about the after the you know, the no rain video, um, I actually didn't like that song, right? And this girl I don't left the CD at my house or something. I don't remember what happened, so I was like, "Oh, this is the the B song." You know, that's what I'm thinking. And then I put it on and I listened to the whole record, and I was like, "Holy shit, this record is amazing!" So then, then that then No Rain kind of fit into the record, and I heard it inside of the album, and I was like, "This song totally makes sense with this whole record." And I was like, "Now I get the whole thing," and I was like, "This record's amazing." So well, I thanks. think for me, like pulled out, it was it was a little bit. It was a little bit uh, weird for me, but now I always tell people, I'm like, you have to listen to the whole record together. And I said, if you like that song, you'll totally like the whole whole package because it totally makes sense on that record.
1: Oh, I agree. I mean, but it's, you know, I mean, we have maybe at this point, I don't know, a quarter of a million fans who get the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, we sold lots of records back then. And, you know, you know 9 tenths of those were sold to people who were buying the video you know right. and that's
0: it right so, which it uh, worked out because now it's funny now i love that song you know just as part of that album so it's well, you know right. it's, it's kind of good that uh I, I mean that that whole records great i love the whole record so
1: well so, you know i mean we were we were you know totally like i said Green, I probably had played more than anybody when this band started. And I mean, I've been in like six or seven bands, you know, since I was 15 years old, maybe, and just starting with like a rockabilly band. And, uh, you know, I guess by 94 or so, um, when we finally took a break, you know, everybody had kind of, you know, settled into Okay, everybody sh- needs to be writing everybody uh, needs to be writing like for the band, not like for themselves right. and uh, yeah well,
0: who who did most of the writing for the band
1: well um basically everything that was on everything was on the first record was done. Uh, collaboratively, with the exception of "No Rain" and "Change," Shannon wrote "Change," Brad wrote "No Rain." I may there may be another one that I'm forgetting, but everything else was done, you know, in the room, mm-hmm. just hashed out over a long period of time. in uh, the soup record, people were coming in with, you know, half-formed ideas, and we, you know, beat those out in the practice room. And but that, I mean that, you know, you the first record was very sloppy and sort of, um, I don't know. It was, it was pretty, it was done quickly.
0: Did <laughs> you guys I, record it live? Or did you track it? Oh,
1: yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was all, I mean, every everything, everything we've ever done has been live except the Nico record, which is recording over Shannon's, you know, uh, uh, already. DVDs and whatnot, you know, I mean, what do you call them? Uh, CDs and, um, uh, Stuff that he'd done in hotel rooms, you know. right? But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we. Yeah, I mean, the first record is you know all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, second record's a little bit more attention to detail. We had Andy Wallace with us, who was you know a great producer, and you know none of our first pick as a producer, I would say, but uh, definitely um, a guy who allowed us to you know be ourselves, and someone who you know kind of. Tighten the reins a little bit, which was nice because the first time around it was you know just chaos. Right. <laughs> Our producer on the first record wasn't there. I mean, he showed up, and said hello, and wouldn't play tennis every day. So I mean, we produced the first record ourselves. Well, that's what it. an executive
0: producer does, don't they? <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know stories of people like, pay me two grand and you can put my name on the record. Right. Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's like I'm not even gonna. I won't even show up. I'll call you or something, or you know, some people are like, "Man, we paid somebody two, three grand." Drummers that I know too that are like, "Yeah, label put me down as a producer, and they won't even show up." And they're like, "But you pay three grand for their name to be on the record, so." Yeah, it's a funny business. Yeah, maybe I should have been a producer instead of a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> so after, uh, so you guys come out with the first record, and then and then you come out with Soup, and you guys are are uh, how long were you guys on tour? total like supporting those two was it one into the next or did you guys break or
1: we took a break uh you know to basically to write soup and you know we all moved to new orleans and um so yeah i mean there was there was some time right um but yeah i mean the first the, the gosh the touring my god the touring the touring was like from 1991 all the way through '92, '93, and part of '94. Right. And I mean, you know, we had you know whatever two weeks off here and there, but that was it. You know, right? And I mean, I loved it. I would like to do that right now. Um, but I mean, I love I love playing, and I love touring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really wore the band down. Um, so right. Anyway, we had all kinds of crazy, you know, band problems. That.
0: You know. Well, yeah. I mean, the the obvious stuff with the with the drugs and alcohol and everything with Shannon and and I know he got he got arrested and on tour and and, and all kinds of stuff i mean how how bad was it though was it like well, was it just shannon or was it like the whole band just totally out of control was it like okay either one of us is one of this is going to get somebody and it just happened to get shannon
1: i would say that it, the out of control aspect that I'm referring to has less to do with drugs and more to do with just uh, lack of cohesion between the people in the band. I mean, you know, uh, I don't remember talking to our manager more than four or five times uh, in a couple of years. Not that I, you know, I mean, I certainly could have, but, uh, uh, and I think Shannon was talking to him every day. So, um, you know, our manager was getting a very one-sided view of our state of mind, collective state of mind, I suppose. Right. And anyway, and, and that caused a lot of tension. You know, I mean, Shannon was, you know, Shannon loves, you know, having a good time and always did and did long before he met any of us. Right. And was way heavy into stuff, you know, years before he met any of us. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but, uh, you know, just the general unhappiness of, you know, basically, you know, you get what you want and then at the same time you lose control of your life. Sure. Because it's in other people's hands, technically. I mean, and uh, I think that that really freaked him out more than anything, and that exacerbated the drug use. And, you know. Right. And it wasn't. I mean, it was. It was a very gradual process. He was in a rehab, you know, at least three times. Uh, you know, and we thought, we thought he would, he would be fine. You know. I mean, right. But, you know, these things happen. Mm-hmm. So, it was sad. But anyway. Yes, we toured a
0: lot,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it
0: wears it wears on you absolutely yeah so so after um after shining Pass, what was the what was kind of the collective thing to do like what were you thinking from there or was it like we're done or we're gonna you know
1: well, um, I wanted to keep going i mean i you know in some form, you know, and uh I don't know within three or four months or so we started looking for singers and that went nowhere and we found a couple of people and did some recordings with them and you know we'll never see the light of day and um you know after a few years it just became obvious that this should be we should let this go I mean, we did the nico record um i don't know a few months after he died right we had you know like 30 Songs that he'd recorded, you know, by himself on like a or, you know, whatever, Datman in, in his uh, hotel room, and and there were some of them were good enough to, to actually overdub on, you know, and um, so that was good. I mean, that was good for us. It was good to get back in the studio and sort of feel like, you know, wow, you know, this. Although this is over, obviously, we just had this experience with our deceased singer, you know present in the room with us, you know, it was a really really strange thing, but, uh, but, you know, it it went fast, it went really well, and, you know, so.
0: So at the point when everybody, when you were saying that, it got to the point where everybody was like, oh, we should, we should let this go, and, um.
1: Yeah, it took a couple of years. I mean, we really looked for singer, you know, I mean, we really, I, you know, I I, I mean, I went all over the place looking for people, and, uh, you know, um it's, it's kinda of the most ridiculous thing you could ever try to do is replace your singer, especially I mean if you're known I mean come on. I mean who right. does that? I mean A C D C did it and you know, it worked. And, right.
0: and who and uh who's the other Canned Heat did it and the guy and he sounds exactly like the the old guy.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Well I mean and you know, Chicago did it. You can say Chicago did it, you know, Terry, Terry Cage, right. you know. But uh, but nobody did it like A C D C. Yeah, you know, I mean that was that was pretty pretty amazing. I mean I can remember when that came out, the Back in Black record, and you know just like wow this is weird, but wow this is good. And anyway, um, we um... so when we gave up the you know looking for somebody, you know that was it. Everybody went and did their separate things. You know I moved to North Carolina built a house, blah blah blah. Christopher and Brad put the studio together in LA and. Started producing. Rogers did a few bands. I did a few bands. You know, my bands were more for fun. I certainly was not trying to, you know, take him to L.A. and do that whole thing with him again. But Rogers was, and he, I don't know. I think he had two or three bands that, you know, did not go over too well. But and Brad and Christopher did a thing with. Unified Theory, that's where yeah. it is. Uh, and I think they signed with a major and did something for like a year. I, I don't I mean, I, we weren't really, none of us really taught for several years. Right. But, um, and then, you know, after a long, long, long time, you know, I got another call out of the blue and it was, you know, like, hey, there's this kid, you know, who's come to Christopher and Brad, who, you know, saying i'm a fan of you know i know all your stuff inside and out uh will you produce me and we uh they, you know, they said okay and so after working with him for about a month you know it, it became obvious that oh this guy could actually be the singer for blind melon so rogers and i went out to l.a we played three songs with him and that was it it's so like okay great fantastic nice then we made a record, and then it all went to hell. You know, I mean, just, you know, same thing, drug problems, blah blah blah, whatever. You know, oh, with him, and, yeah, with him. Yeah, he had he had problems. He had problems coming in that we knew nothing about, uh. and uh, we got so far into it before we found before we found out. Uh, anyway, but he's fine now. He's 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 been he's been completely you know drug free for years. And um, but you know today's version of blind melon is you know. We record every once in a while. We record something—a single, a cover, or whatever—and right. then maybe do half a dozen to a dozen shows a year. You know, mm-hmm. that they make that's it. You know, um, so. is it
0: just because the, the you guys don't want to dig too deep into it again, or
1: no? It's just it's because nobody will hire us. I mean, we don't, I mean, you know, we. Uh, how old are you?
0: Thirty-two.
1: You're 32, so yes, you're significantly younger than me. I'm 46, and uh, so from someone your age, let's say perspective, uh, maybe not you being who you are, knowing what you know about the way things work, but uh, the average person probably thinks we're a lot bigger than we are, you know. Um, right. And so we're, you know, we're painfully aware of how. <laughs> how popular we are! Right. You know, we do think to overseas every once in a while, and you know, we play places we never played or haven't played. You know, uh, I don't know uh, if we do if we do anything in Europe or anything in South America. You know, people are just absolutely floored. Right. And but things in the United States. I mean, they're limited to you know summertime. Whatever you want to call it, uh, you know barbecue festival things, you know where, right. where you have like Doobie Brothers and us and somebody else I've never heard of who's much younger, and um, and those things are great, you know, and they pay well and all that, but um, but there's no possibility of us ever, you know, like you know touring again, like going on a six week tour or something like that. Right. I mean, right. I
0: would, but I'm right. I, mean, I suppose play occasionally, but you know.
1: Anyway. Hmm.
0: So what else is on the uh, what else is on the horizon for you?
1: Oh, for me, uh, well, basically, <laughs> basically what I'm doing is painting, and I've been painting for ten years or so, and selling prints of my stuff online and uh, at you know net. And um, as far as musically, uh, you know, I have let's see 4 two three four. I've done four bands in the last. Ten years since I've lived in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and you know I'm just kind of over it, really. I mean, I like recording on people's stuff every once in a while. I'll do some sort of you know remote recording thing. People send me files, and you know I record.
0: I was going to ask, do you have like the do you have the the drum room and and all that? Oh yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah. I mean and I you know I I enjoy that, but um, I mean for me, you know what I would like to be doing is touring. I like to be with a band that has something going on, you know that it's fun to play with, and um, you know, I mean, I would be on the road. I'd be delighted to be on the road for ten months a year, out of know, the year, right. you know. Right. Uh, but anyway, and, after, <laughs> and I've tried all kinds of little, you know, ways of getting that going. It's 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 very difficult. There yeah. are the, the there's a <laughs> it's a limited amount of slots out there.
2: Yeah, there but, is. <laughs> yeah.
1: But anyway, um, so yeah. Uh, I mean I record my own stuff for fun it's instrumental stuff I do that from time to time you know and I have friends around here that I play with from time to time but
0: uh would you rather be on the road or would you rather be doing records
1: oh I'd rather be on the road yeah I mean to, uh, you know studio to me is it's only fun if you're with really really good people like I want to be the worst guy in the room you right. know I mean and, that's how I feel yeah <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so yeah, you know, it's it's it outside of well, outside of like New York or LA, it's kind of difficult to make that happen, right? Um, you know, because everybody's you know, I don't know. I mean, if you're whoever the, the keyboard player guy who plays with the Rolling Stones, you know, living in Tennessee, that's one thing. But you know, sure. Um, so yeah, um, I like recording, but you know, it's it's not my my first,
0: right. You know, priority and like you said if you're if you're in a band and you know you love all the people that you're with and and you go in and cut a record you know but uh
1: oh yeah yeah absolutely
0: and the hired gun thing's a little weird going in the studio to do you know and some people are some people are really good at it and some people you know some people aren't it's hard so
1: yeah I've only done it with people uh, you know that I had never met (laughs) you know I've only done it remotely so
0: Right. I feel like there's a lot more people that are doing that and you know it's it's uh it's cheaper for the for the musicians, you know, if you live in you live in North Carolina and I live in New York and I can say, "Hey man, can you play on this record?" It's like, "Okay, well, fly me up, put me up in a hotel, you know, and I'll cut the record and and go home." It's a lot a lot right. more expensive than just saying, "Send me the send me the stems, I'll cut it and send it back to you and be done." Right. You know, it's more convenient for you. It's, you know, it's cheaper for, for me and that's, seems like the way that a lot of things are going with these, with, you know, sessions of, uh, of higher gun sessions.
1: Right. But, and I mean, you you can get good stuff that way. I mean, it's, but there's something to be said, you know, for having everybody in the room and certainly, you know, at least playing the, you know, backing tracks or whatever you want to call them, basic tracks live, you know, right. um, you know, um,
0: yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, I I totally agree. I'm not I'm not a big fan of uh, of cutting things, you know, to a. I'm not a big fan of cutting it to a click with you know the just the drums and then you know tracking the bass and then the guitar and and everything. It just it it makes it sterile to me. And a lot of times, and I'm sure that you agree with this because I think that there's some on some of this going on with the with the blind melon stuff that like sometimes the song pushes, and sometimes it pulls. And sometimes it speeds up and slows down, and that's part. That's what happens, man. You know, right? That, and that's that's natural. So it's like, well, the song sped up at the end. It's like, who cares? Tell the song. That's how it went, man. Right. You know, rather than, I mean, than snapping it to the grid.
1: Yeah, not everybody is is uh, comfortable playing with the click. I mean, especially like non-first call uh, players. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and. Everything that I've done remotely, obviously, has been done with the click. And, you know, it's fine. It sounds fine, but you can tell that, you know... That, that, I think a lot of... Maybe this is a gross generalization, but it seems to me that a lot of uh, non-drummer musicians who are working with a click... First of all, they don't want to hear the click anyway. right? You know, that, I mean, that's really more of the drummer's thing. but And they come to passages that they didn't realize they were you know speeding up or slowing down on which as you say and i agree it's perfectly fine but that's where you get the stiffness that's where the, that's how it sounds stiff you know right people trying to struggle through something they aren't willing to put the time in to make sound relaxed with a click you know
0: <laughs> right yeah I mean, it's just
1: when they could just be in the same room
0: exactly yeah exactly yeah you get this this mechanical, uh, super polished feel, and it's like, ah, oh, well, that doesn't really sound like music. And it's one thing, you know, if you're doing a a record that needs to really be quantized, and it's like some dance record or something, sure. But like for for good music, that <laughs> I feel like it it should be uh, not with a click. So, what do you suggest for for drummers that are coming up now that uh, you know, that want to? play professionally or they want to uh, you know just become a, a better player And from all the things that you've seen what are, you, what are your recommendations and suggestions?
1: Well I have no idea how to tell them how to uh, begin playing professionally or get into that world at all but I can tell you that um, you know stop listening to contemporary uh, rock and pop music um, at least uh, as uh, source material for your uh, drum studies for lack of a better term you know, I mean, there are literally hundreds of thousands of recordings out there that are fantastic. And I mean, it be your favorite kind of music, but, you know, I listen to so many things that, you know, I listen to just for the way that it sounds, you know, just the way the recording sounds, mm-hmm. or just the way the drum sounds are, or just because I like that, you know, whatever, a guitar solo, or that the way the vocalists, you know that voice you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, i mean i there's nothing wrong with dissecting you know i mean um i mean you look at people like you look at a band like i don't know the atlanta rhythm section or the association oh, i love it
0: the, i love atlanta rhythm section
1: you know i mean or the band or buddy holly i mean i'm going down my thing right here carly simon carol king the chambers brothers you know i mean Chicago, first two records. Uh, you know, even bands like the Cow Seals which are, you know, of course, you know, uh Hal Blaine and the wrecking crew. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you got Ukraine, Ukraine's clear water vials, all that stuff. I mean, it's it, The Grateful Dead, my God, I mean, come on. There's there's plenty to learn from the Grateful Dead that you will never learn listening to Green Day. Not that there's anything wrong with Green Day. Right. right. You, know, you know, but guess who? There's a band I love, uh let's see. Did
0: you know who um, the North Mississippi All Stars are? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Do you know uh, Do you know Cody, the, the Dickinson, the drummer?
0: I don't. I don't know him personally. I know of him, but I don't know him personally.
1: He's a funny guy. He's got a band called the Hill Country Review. That uh, I think they have two records. The first one is called It's called Make a Move. The first song on that record is called Alice May,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, it's a it's a cover of you know one of those front porch uh, you know. Delta Blues dudes, you know.
0: What's it, what's it um, I'm typing it in right now. What's it called? Alice it, May?
1: Alice May, yeah. It's it's off of Make a Move. I mean, you know, there are fifty versions of this song, but right. you know, talk about a push and pull song, I mean you know, they're a two guitar band, they're kind of Allman Brothers E or whatever, uh, but in a more of a contemporary way. I mean, knocks me out every time. You know, simple good old kind of southern rocky stuff that's not, you know, Molly Hatchet
0: or, you know Whatever you know, Hill Country Review, right? The Hill Country Review. Cool. Yeah, I got it. yeah, I got it right here. I'll, I'll listen to it when we're done.
1: It's cool, you know. I mean, you'll see. It's a long intro, guitar, simple lines, intertwining. You know, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> to me, all I know is as far as learning how to play the drums is listening to everything, finding the stuff that appeals to you in some way and mimicking it and getting it wrong, and but getting it wrong with conviction. And, you know, you do enough of that, and all of a sudden, there's your style. You know, mm-hmm. It emerges out of, you know, your futile attempts to sound like whoever. You
0: know? Right. Um, Were you a big <laughs> jazz guy coming up? Did you listen to a lot of jazz? I started
1: listening to jazz a couple of years before I moved to L.A. And, I mean, I like stuff like Yusuf Latif, you know, yeah. and... Like I say, you know, uh, late '60s. I like Coltrane. I like the Max Roach. I love Tony Scott, um, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But all the way back to people like you know Django Reinhardt, whatever. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I wasn't big into it. I didn't grow up with it. But as soon as I uh, was made aware of it, it was like, okay, wow. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is.
0: This is very, very, very cool. I remember um, the first time I heard Alvin Jones play, and my head almost exploded.
1: And I saw him one time play uh, in some—it's a small club in L.A. And uh, this was like in '93 or something. And I dragged the whole band down there, so you got to see this. You know, it's got to play the John Coltrane, and blah, blah, blah. And right. it was—it was—it was just monstrous. I mean, you know how the New York clubs, the cool little New York jazz clubs, right. uh, so small, so intimate—you can get all the way around three sides of the stage, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That sort of deal, and you know nothing's mic'd you know right, right, right. and it, and he's just just blazing away and like staring down you know people in the audience, you know, like whoever's like right up in front, you know right uh, and you know what I mean I don't know if you ever saw Elvin Play or not, but I mean he, he grunted and made just all kinds of just crazy noises.
0: You I've know. never seen him play well, person like, I mean I've watched thousands of videos of him. But yeah. he's kinda he kinda reminds me his playing on drums reminds me of Jimmy Smith's playing on organ.
1: Oh, I can see that.
0: Yeah. You know, he kinda has and, and Jimmy Smith grunts all the time when he plays and, and like right, and he did, right. you know. And uh so I always equated the two. I'm like the they're like the same guy, but on their respective instrument, you know.
1: Yeah, I see that.
0: <laughs> never got to see I met him at uh at a Percussive Arts Society conference. I don't know, fifteen years ago or something like that. Briefly, but uh, other than that, no, I've never, never got to see him play in person. Which is a bore.
1: well, the force, I mean, they're just the the power coming off that little tiny. You know, we're talking about like an eight inch off the ground stage. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it just phenomenal. I mean, he's phenomenal, but then the power right. was the thing that's most you know mind blowing. You know, just you you think of you know, I, I suppose jazz drummers is being kind of, you know, sort of quiet, sort of laid back, or whatever. But and and that's certainly not true with everybody. This guy's man was fucking John Bonham. I mean, he was, you know,
0: he sounded like a thunderstorm.
1: It was it was exactly. It was like a fucking tornado coming. Out. Amazing, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely amazing, yeah. and you know,
0: like a well-controlled tornado, though. You know, yeah, like, absolutely. It was insane, and that's where I mean, you look at a guy like Bonham. He's the same way that he was like. Well, he wanted to be Alvin Jones, you know. Right. So it's like that's why John Bonham sounds the way that he did, or he did, you know. Right. It's insane. how you know, how it translates. But the you know the
1: whole there, there's like this sort of little credo that I live by, my private drumming you know mindset, which is you know the importance of the and you know the the and whether it's played or implied it has to be there. It's like, right. if you're not playing, you know, if you're not playing jazz, if you're not playing a swing thing with that sort of, you know, ride pattern world, you know, and that all that has that, you know, of course, but rock, pop, whatever, jazz, rock, pop, funk, you know, soul, any of that stuff, you know, the and has to be there, sh- just really just super, super strong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I say, either played or implied, and that's what I like so much about Jim Gordon, because it's, it's like, he had the fuck out ah, ah, uh, uh you uh, just pulsing through whatever he did. His po- the pockets are so deep, right? You know, you get into those people like Earl Palmer, and you know, I mean, it's um, you, know, you can you know drive yourself crazy, basically.
0: It's insane how those guys developed these these pockets, and I mean, I talked to James Gadsden about it. I interviewed him maybe a couple months ago, and he you know his explanation was just like well you know I just you know I dug 16th notes and I kind of developed my own thing I was like well that didn't really help me <laughs> you know because I don't think it's it's like the intangible you can't really you know how do you how do you explain it you know he's you know he's how many years he's been around and, and been playing and everything and you know trying to explain it to some some 32 year old white guy from the suburbs you know it's
1: yeah well I mean to me that's it though That that's that is what feel is i mean uh to me you know and i'm i'm you know you're talking to somebody who's not you know literate and uh you know drumming i'm a you know i'm a complete garage drummer uh, but the pocket and feel to me it's it's, it's all about the and and mm-hmm. it's all about the, the especially the implied and especially the sure. you know, rock pop you know. And people don't know that people don't know that people don't feel that they don't know to feel it and you can i mean you can you can you can go out and see just about anybody today who with a band you know's under forty and and many older too but uh who just they just don't have it. I mean, they don't have it at all. And I'm not saying that I have it. Right. I mean, but I'm aware of it, and I and that's what I'm striving for. You know what I I'm mean? I'm trying, uh, man. I'm <laughs> no, it's like, I'm
0: not saying I can do it, but.
1: but I can fucking hear it, you know. Right. And, uh, right. Um. So anyway, um, you know, you got Floyd Sneed from Three Dog Night. You know, right. I mean, hey, there's a guy who he, you know, hey, give me a tempo and I will rush it. But it doesn't make any difference because his pocket was so so strong
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh you know just take three or four of those three dog nights hits and listen to them and it's just like you know i mean just j- take joy to the world my god i mean yeah. he rips that up you know mm-hmm. and you know it, it's it's a different thing than you know i i, I mean i feel sorry for like a 20 year old who goes and sees galactic you know because it's like they're seeing <laughs> it's like they're seeing something that they can't comprehend you right. know probably right, right, right and you know and uh, I can't. Why? Why can't I think of his name? What's his name? Stanton. Yeah, Stanton Moore. I, yeah. He's. You know. I mean. I mean. He studied for years and years with John Dodokovic, You know. I right. mean. New Orleans. And. You know who studied with James Black and on and on and on and. Um, you know you you don't get you just you can't get it from listening to you know the cramps you can't
0: right and these kid but the funny th- not the funny thing is but like how this whole the whole thing with the galactic like you were saying you know those guys are playing their asses off and playing it correct. And it's like the kids are here and it's, and it's great, but it's sometimes I'm like, they don't, I don't think they realize how good it is. Oh, exactly. You know, and they're, it's like, like you said, it's like, man, I feel, I feel bad that you can't hear what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah. These are some guys just out there trying to, you know, cop the meters. I mean, <laughs> right, they're not faking it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, but Stanton's a monster, man. I just saw him a couple weeks ago in uh, Indianapolis. They did this Vic Firth fiftieth uh, anniversary party, and it was Stanton, Indu uh, Chancellor, uh, Steve Houghton. Uh, who else played? Peter Erskine. And yeah. Somebody, and they just and they would each play one song, and then they would just rotate, and all night long, it was just it was like Stanton, Peter, in, uh Ndugu, Steve Houghton, and they would just rotate every song wow yeah it was pretty nuts it, was pretty, it was pretty, nuts. pretty cool and Stan's way younger than all those guys oh absolutely <laughs> you know yeah, you know, he's a monster so that I mean that is great advice uh, although you know going back to the to the question it's definitely something that I think that, that people need to do now is really like you know dig into the older stuff to see it's like the old saying you can't where can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been kind of thing you know
1: exactly yeah and if you need you know if you need something that's you know, uh, more than just um, cool—the f- occasional cool feel and a, a super deep pocket. You know, just go to Frank Zappa. You know, there's like right. a there's a fucking library of stuff of amazing material and amazing drummers playing amazingly, and with feel and in the pocket. You know, right? Um, you know,
0: so <laughs> totally, totally. Well, I think that's a I think that's a good place to stop, man. I I, I uh. I think that there was definitely a lot of a lot of information that came out of this. And I, I love the fact that you and I see eye to eye on a lot of things, in, you know, in terms of playing and grooving. Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah. I
0: just did a clinic the other day about it, and I was like, we're going to talk. I'm going to talk to you for an hour, and we're going to talk about grooving, and that's it. So let's <laughs> sit down and, you know. But it was great. But, but that's, like you said, I think that that's something that... uh that that gets overlooked a lot. So I'm gl- I'm really glad that you brought that up. Well, good, so, good. Well, I enjoyed it uh, thoroughly. Absolutely, man. I'm I'm and so glad that that we got to do this.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you you know anytime about whatever.
0: Uh, that'd be that'd be great. I will uh I will definitely keep your number on speed dial and call you about some more things. Sure, sure, definitely. Glenn, thanks so much, man. I really I really do appreciate it.
1: All right, I enjoy
0: it, man. Cool, man. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, take it
0: easy. So there you have it, Glenn Graham from Bly Mellon. You can reach him at glengraham.net. That's G-L-E-N-G-R-A-H-A-M.net. Visit us at drummersresource.com or facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. If you want to get at me on Twitter, you can reach me at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I. And if you want to get these podcasts before everyone else, sign up for the VIP list at drummersresource.com, and I'll send you a link that you can download the podcast before the release to the public. And I hope all of you have a very safe and happy holiday season, and I truly appreciate everybody listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for all the support, and until next time, keep on drumming. Peace.